Welcome to the Bill Cartwright Show with our special guest, Elk Grove's own Bill Langston. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate that. It's funny to think about that. I've been in this within about a 10-mile area my whole life, and I sort of never planned it that way, but it's turned out well. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of a talent, too. <laughs> Let's, now, what I'd like to do is get, have everybody get to know you really, really well. So uh, talk about where you grew up. And I want you to just talk about your mom and dad. Okay. Yeah, I, I grew up in South Sacramento. Uh, in fact, our backyard fence was the end of the Elk Grove School District's most northern boundary. <laughs> and uh, I think about all the years we had four kids in the family. My mother logged a lot of miles driving kids to Elk Grove. We were absolutely probably the longest commute anyone in the district had to get to Elk Grove High School all those years. Um, <laughs> there were no houses behind us for miles. It was just open fields. But um, literally, if there had been, the next street over would have been Hiram Johnson. So it was. Wow. we were right at the end of the district. Um yeah, I, I had a good, happy, active childhood. I, I My parents were great. Um, we see, uh, when I think back to growing up, it was long days of uh, playing with kids of the neighborhood, you know, whether it was wiffle ball or ping pong or throwing darts when it got too hot to be out in the sun or playing basketball in the driveway or whatever. It was, it was nonstop and there were always tons of kids around and uh, a really good, good wholesome great experience i mean i think about we'd take our bikes for miles unsupervised off into the country and nope somehow miraculous nobody ever got hurt that i recall even though we were probably doing things today you'd say what the heck are you letting your kid do that for but <laughs> there weren't that many cars around either in those days but um yeah it was a good i had a very fortunate in that regard with my parents and my family um my mom had grown up in sacramento um not that many miles away. Uh, her parents were a big influence in our lives growing up. Um, so we were always very close to her family and all their activities. Um, my dad was a tougher story. He had, he was really a, a survivor. He, he had come from a really difficult childhood in the mountain West and literally worked odd jobs and farm labor from the time he was about eight, nine years old, all over the Western states from picking apples in Washington to potatoes in Idaho to working fields in the Central Valley to learning how to do chores in Arizona and back again. And by the time he was a teenager, he was the last of the kids and he was living with older brothers and working at odd jobs in the Southern California area. So he never had a stable home, never had a classical you know, good stroke, never really got to go to school more than occasionally in his childhood for a few months at a time, just had a rough, rough life, but he was a really genuine guy and wanted us to do a whole lot better, wanted to give us a whole lot more stability than he had ever had and break the chain. And he did it. And that was quite an achievement, I'd say, for him. He um, he ended up here, it was kind of an interesting, when he went to Southern California, he was just a teenager, and then Pearl Harbor hit, and um, he joined the Marines. I don't think he was 18, and I don't think they asked a lot of questions at that time. Uh, <laughs> he was young and healthy. So he went into the Marine Corps and ended up in some of the worst battles in the Pacific during that time in horrible combat situations, really nightmare stuff. 
somehow survived. Um, and he didn't really have a family to come back to at the end of the war when they discharged everybody. He, he had befriended a guy, his best friend in the Marines was from Sacramento. And that guy said, hey, if you got nowhere to go, you're coming with me. My family will take you in. And he ended up coming here. And within a matter of less than a year, he met my mom and the rest is history. They were together for well over 60 years before he passed. And then she hung around and was still with us till about three years ago. So very good story. They, they did great. They were quite a team. Uh, they worked so hard. They were, uh, my mom was a homemaker. We had four kids in the family, but she never stopped. And she was a big, strong woman and really able to do anything. And my dad, for all his hard scrabble background, never, you never saw him in at night when he came home, which was usually quite late. He always had a book in his hand. He never stopped reading his whole life. He was reading till he died. He was, even when he couldn't read anymore at the end, he'd still hold a book in his hand because it was a real peaceful thing for him to do. And so we were lucky that he set quite an example that you weren't ever supposed to stop learning, uh, even though he himself had never had much chance to do it formally. So um, I'm grateful for that. Um, so it was, um, that's, you know, basically the, the circumstances that our family, as I said, we were four kids and um, I was the baby by a pretty good margin. Um, the other three were all born in a period of just a few years. And then there was quite a gap. And then I came along. So uh, my brother and two sisters, you know, for example, by, by the time I was in sixth grade, I was the only kid left at home. And um, wow. my brother was already in Vietnam in combat, unfortunately. Fortunately enough, he did survive. He suffered a lot of side effects, but he's still with us. Um, my sisters immediately started families very young with kids. And so by the time I'm in middle school, we have, you know, my sister's coming and going. By that time, they already had five or six kids between them. My dad was working. My mom was doing everything she could to keep things going. She was the, she ran the house because my dad always worked nights, weekends, holidays. He didn't, he always worked those shifts. And so she ran the house and then there she was with grandkids. And so I learned from watching. <laughs> I always laugh. that even when my brother came back from Vietnam, we'd sit and talk about, you know, you got to do better. You, you know, there's, you got to have some goals. You got to move, look at your life. And, and I learned a lot from being the baby of that family and seeing what to do and what not, what I didn't want to do and setting some goals and being pretty serious at a young age, I think, because of what I was seeing around the house and all that was going on. Um, I, um, I think in some ways it, it probably made me a more serious kid than some of the other kids who I knew friends who were like the oldest in their family. And they hadn't, their parent, they hadn't experienced a whole lot by the time they were my age, because they were the first where I was, I was the last. So I, they, I got to see it all ahead of time. <laughs> um, you know, gosh, I, um, my dad, you know, he didn't have the luxury of, playing sports as a kid or seeing that at all for him it was he always regretted that he didn't get to go to school and so yeah. he always he had a lot of concern with me being really interested in sports because his fear was that that was time I wasn't in the class and I wasn't doing my work I wasn't studying so it was for him it was always a concern that time involved with sports which I was loving and enjoying was time away from the classroom and even though he, he always kind of kept one eye on it, 
didn't say much about it, but he was, that was how I understood. And, and, and so I had to pay attention and I always knew from a pretty young age, it was, I needed to keep on a path and not create work and stress for my folks. Cause there was enough of that already in the house. <laughs> and maybe that's what any big family would say, but it was, it was a multi-generational environment and a lot of stuff to do. Um, I'm lucky on this, my mom's family, were they were the sports fans and they, my grandmother, my grandfather, my uncle, my mom, they all loved sports. So my mom was always very excited, very supportive. Um, and that's where a lot of that excitement, you know, and so we were always following baseball and basketball, primarily a little bit of other stuff, but mostly those were the two in that era. That's kind of what you did. And, and it was perfect living here. You know, the weather was great. But I remember we'd be out in the driveway, even in the coldest rainy nights, playing basketball till, till all hours. I'm kind of amazed the neighbors didn't come over and wring our necks for making so much noise, but they never did. <laughs> um, so anyway, it, that's kind of the background from when you ask about my childhood and my parents. And no, let's talk about high school. What did you... <laughs> do you think you were in, in, in high school? <laughs> I'm not sure what I was. I don't know what I, I, I mean, um, I, I really enjoyed sports and school. I, I liked school. Um, but, um, you know, it was stressful and I remember having a lot of, insecurity and anxiety around those years and struggling with it a little bit but um basketball especially was really the outlet that's where I got my escape that's where I could totally focus on that and not think about anything else and that was terrific um you know we <laughs> I think about those those years with playing with you in high school you know we had you get you know the teams had so much talent um I didn't get a lot of time on the floor I wasn't it wasn't in that level. It wasn't at that level. So um, I have fond memories of some funny moments that happened during the, that time. Um, I remember during the big tournament of champions at the Coliseum with all those people in the stands that I'm sitting on the bench and a ball lands like two feet out of the bounds and the referee blows the call and calls it, in, you know, calls it wrong. And I instinctively, I couldn't help my, I jumped up off the bench and yelled at the referee and he called a technical on me. So I thought, well, that's my great moment in the Tournament of Champions. Unlike you, I was I got a technical foul on the bench during in the Oakland Coliseum. That was my big moment. <laughs> uh, other than that, I think I mostly was known for missing shots and free throws in key games when I did play. I don't know. <laughs> it was, I, 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 another funny one I remember is um, senior year, we played Burbank. And I was used to practicing against you. So being smaller than other people wasn't a surprise to me, but I wasn't, you know, it was comfortable, but we weren't used to it in games. And I remember getting the ball in the low post, turning around, thinking I'm going to shoot. And James Donaldson literally reached down and took the ball out of my hands like he was grabbing the ball from a two-year-old and just pulled it away from me. And I, I realized at that moment, I think he might have even been bigger than you. You probably know. I, I don't know. He was a big man. 
even at that age. But I just, that was funny because I don't think I'd ever, as much as I was used to playing around you as a teenager, I hadn't hadn't had that experience. <laughs> yeah, James was uh, a couple of inches taller than me. Uh, yes, had to be. <laughs> and he was well over 300 pounds in, in, in high school. He was a yeah. monster. Exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, that, that's a, you know, then I, what I remember in high school with the games we had was we tended, thanks to all the scoring you were doing, we tend to run up a lot of scores. The games tended to be pretty lopsided <laughs> and, um, often that meant there were some pretty vocal hecklers near the bench. I don't know if you always heard them on me. Well, you probably heard different ones, but <laughs> often being there on the bench, we'd hear some pretty good ones <laughs> that were pretty vocal because they were so frustrated by how, how many points they were behind usually by the second half of a game. <laughs> yeah, you know what's interesting is I, I don't, and I've never heard anybody in the stands ever. I don't know what it is, but I. Well, you were working. You were working. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's that's but but uh, but yeah, you're right. Um, you know, and we did have some interesting uh, long practice sessions as well. Oh gosh, yeah. Well, you probably even had longer ones that I don't even know about because I was there for the standard practice, and those were plenty intense. You know, actually, some of my most when I think back, some of the best memories of that time was the summertime open gym nights. I know we'd, you know, do workouts in the morning, dry land type, you know, uh, lifting weights, running, whatever. But I remember the evenings, the open gym nights were actually a lot of fun because they weren't quite so structured and organized. And we would get to run and kind of really let loose a little bit. And that, I remember those hot nights being a lot of fun. Uh, practice. Yeah, I, I Probably the most fun I remember in our practices was toward the end when we'd get to, you know, those of us who weren't the starters would get to pretend to be the opponent and try to imitate whatever their style was and let you guys get frustrated with us. <laughs> I don't know if you have memories of that kind of thing or not. Yeah, no, I just remember Doug Scott being um, pretending oh. he was Rod Zanzi and not missing a shot. <laughs> he could shoot. I mean, poor Doug, the three-pointer didn't exist back then. might have changed his life. Yeah, yeah. But he, <laughs> he did a great job, and it was it was amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah. All of a sudden, hey, Doug, you're Rod Zizzi. So nice <laughs> shot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, we worked hard. I mean, I, I really appreciate that. And I saw that when I, you know, decades later as a parent, my own son was really involved in a very intense swimming training and finished his training at Arden Hills on their national team and then did swim in college for a year. But I saw the same thing. And I was always appreciative at that age. As the parent, I realized, you know, the, the joke is kind of on the kid. The kid thinks they're doing it for the sport and all the, and the parent realizes it's to burn all their energy up and keep them out of trouble. <laughs> of course. <laughs> being too tired to do anything but like lay on the floor of the living room when I get home. <laughs> so now once you left Elk Grove, um, what'd you do? Yeah. So um, I knew 
by the time I got to be a senior in high school, I realized I didn't have a, the kind of, I wasn't a basketball player. I, I could have a lot of fun with it, but I wasn't at a level that I could continue to play unless I was to go to some really obscure, tiny college, which my family couldn't have afforded anyway. And I probably would have, it would have been a downstep from the level of training and conditioning and everything, the structure that we had had in high school. So like we were above probably a lot of college programs and what we were achieving. So my family was of the mindset, you go to the closest, least expensive college you can get to. And so living where I did, it was actually closer to go to Sac State than it had been to go to Elk Grove. <laughs> so I drove down the road to Sac State, started right after high school and stayed there um, and had a really good experience there. Uh, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I had a lot of random ideas um, and I kind of had the fortune of figuring out which ones worked and didn't work as I bumped along the path. And, you know, I went full time and I carried a lot of units, but I also, you know, did random jobs. I worked in a warehouse. I sold advertising. I was the manager of the student newspaper advertising for a year. I uh, worked on a, on the Woodland daily newspaper for a semester. I mean, I, I did a lot of that. And I kind of got a taste of that. I was really interested in radio but I quickly found out I didn't have the personality. Uh, it was pointed out rudely. I always laugh. I think it's like, you have to look at history. You, unless you were from this area, you wouldn't know. But the, the radio program at Sac State, the year before I got there, Tom Hanks was one of the students. Okay, I, he might've had a little more talent. Um, and a year later, Lester Holt was there. Um, meanwhile, there were a few other people that are more regionally known. But it, it, that program had some <laughs> pretty major talented kids, even though they were only like teenagers at the time. So I quickly figured out that wasn't a direction. And then I was really, I'd always been pretty good in math as well as writing. And I was kind of odd that way because I liked both. And I was, I wasn't ever the best at both, but I was pretty good at both. A lot of people are kind of one or the other. And so um, I was taking all these, you know, a little bit of this and that and social sciences and research and writing and journalism and all this different stuff. And it's funny, I had a professor who got to know me a little bit from a couple of classes. And he said, you know, I don't think you're a journalist. And I don't think you're a novelist. <laughs> he said, you might be a technical writer. I didn't even know what a technical writer was. I'd never heard the term. I had no concept of what he was talking about. Turns out, apparently, he had done some of that when he was in grad school. So he had a sense of it from his own experience. But I didn't have any idea what he was talking about. Oddly enough, it took four or five more years before it happened. But I, as I did get into the, after I graduated and I got into the workforce, that ended up being the ticket that got me into the software industry. And that's what I'm still doing. But um, that was, it was good advice, even though at the time I didn't really understand why. <laughs> um, but I was at Sac State and I took a lot of classes. I was learning a lot. I, I, I got better. I became a better student as time went went on and I uh, graduated. And um, by the time I graduated, I'd finished my major, my minor, and I'd taken about four or five grad level classes in research methods and statistics, which I enjoyed. So, but, you know, for all that, I didn't have any job prospects. and <laughs> I still didn't have a clear idea what I was supposed to do now that I was going to graduate. And um, fortunately, I had a professor who said, I know a guy He's got this grant and he'll pay you to be an intern if you help him do the data collection for 
a project they're running. And I'm like, okay, I don't, again, I don't really know what you're saying, but I'm going to go try it. <laughs> it was the only job offer I had. And um, <laughs> so I, um, amazingly, it just, a lot of times things break for you when you get lucky in the right place and you've impressed the right people, I guess, because turned out what they were doing was, um, and at that time, you got to remember, this is the end of the 70s. Things were very, you know, technology was a lot different then. And the the Placer County Courthouse had implemented, they'd gotten a grant to implement what was one of the first in the country courthouse management software systems. And by that, it was how do you schedule all these cases for all these judges and how, what days are they available and how many jurors are you going to need and how do you keep track of all the darn legal documents that all these cases require and on and on and on and on. And on. Basically, how do you run the courthouse and manage it and finance it and keep it all going? Well, I had never even been inside a courthouse. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know anything, but they're like, well, go trudge through these files and figure out are the cases getting scheduled more efficiently? Are we requesting the right number of jurors instead of paying people to show up and get mad and be told to go home? You know, <laughs> and all these little random things. And I just dove into it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to learn everything I can about how they run a courthouse. And I'm going to gather up all this data and we'll see. And the purpose was, they said, figure out whether it's working. Is it actually helping them run better and save money and make people happy and all that? So I did that you know, for about a year. And I learned a whole lot. I was working with people that were way out of my league. I mean, these were guys with PhDs from Cal and stuff. I mean, they, they were way out of my league as far as their understanding of research methods and stuff, but I just tried to be a sponge. And then um, I, that ended and I got on a, kind of in some ways similar, but it was different in other ways was once again, I got hired into a job where they said, well, you're not going to be here forever, but for probably a year or two, we can put you in what in those days they called management information systems before it became IT. It was MIS. And they said, we're going to put you in there and we're going to, this was a totally different organization, but they said, we got all these people in the region receiving federal money to get trained to do jobs. And we have no idea whether they're showing up for class or showing up for work or getting paid right, or what is happening? And they bought a, well, in those days they called a mini computer. You know, you don't hear that term anymore. Now everything's a server. But they said, you know, we're gonna buy a mini computer and we're gonna convert all this paper to data in a computer, in a database. Imagine, this is 1981, you know. <laughs> and we're gonna try to figure out if this is working. And so in a lot of ways, it was the same thing. It was, again, it was trying to figure out can we get enough data together to evaluate whether something that was being federally funded would work? And we basically worked ourselves out of a job because we came in there and we did it well and we had a good team and we had a couple of really good managers that taught us a lot and I learned so much. And, uh, and then everything was implemented and the software was working and people were trained and then they said, oh, well, we don't need you anymore. <laughs> because <laughs> it works. And so there went that. And then I went over to a small computer service bureau, which again is a term you don't hear anymore. But in those days, they were, the company didn't always have the money to have their own computer system. So they would hire 
kind of the 40 years before we have the cloud, it was, you know, people had a company down the street that had a computer that they shared a bunch of, you know, a bunch of companies could use a little bit of the resource and do work. So these guys were doing services for all kinds of different industries, random companies, hospitals, farmers, publishers, you name it. And they just said, you know, we're going to hire you to build databases that handle our marketing and custom direct marketing and different. So a little different, got in there, dove into that, did that for about a year. And then I realized I'm bouncing around. I'm not really getting anywhere, but I'm learning a lot. So I um, decided to start going back to school. So I enrolled in the MBA program at Sac State. Um, but the challenge was, you know, now you got the internet, distance learning, all this wonderful, you know, take it up, you know, at your own schedule, at your own time, you know, all this club. Back then it was, okay, I can't afford to just do this full time. I'm going to work full time and do this at night. And it's a 60 unit program and classes are three units at a time. So it's two classes a week at night, each semester for five years. <laughs> this is a long road. It's not just snap, here's your degree. And in those days, that was the norm for a part-time MBA program. So I started doing that. And fortunately, I was looking for a better job. And there was a small startup software company in Roseville that was just getting off the ground called New Generation Software. And I got I managed to talk my way in there and get hired as a tech writer. And again, that was like finally getting into what I'd been told four years before was probably a good path for me, but I had to go out and learn all that other stuff before I knew enough to even do it. So it was a long way around, but it got me there. And um, I, uh, you know, it was, NGS was really a challenge. Um, it was a startup. We had, a lot of people in management who really hadn't done it before. They had worked either in big companies or really had never had a job of that level before. <laughs> and it was a little bit chaotic. Um, and it was a great, great environment for learning because I was thrown into a room full of all the programmers. I was the only non-programmer in the bunch. And it was basically absorb everything you can from these guys and figure out how to explain it to people. And so there we were writing business applications for accounting and spreadsheets and all this stuff. And I'm the one guy in there who's supposed to figure out what it means to a real person instead of just the programmers. And so before you know it, I'm doing support and testing and writing manuals and training people. And, and eventually uh, the company, things got really rocky. The company looked like it wasn't going to survive. And a lot of the people that were at the higher levels kind of bailed because it just didn't look like it was going to work for them. And I was young and no obligations other than you know, <laughs> paying the rent and I had an old car and low overhead. And I was willing to work six days a week. And so I got promoted into a management role as the company was sinking. <laughs> but there was a core of us there who really worked our butts off. And we pulled it out of the fire and I'm still there. <laughs> and we really hit our stride toward the end of the eighties, 
when we shifted all the way over to database um, reporting and analysis and there, the jargon has changed so much, but nowadays it's what they call business intelligence, analytics, you hear all this fancy jargon, but basically that was the rudimentary foundation of it in the late eighties on, on large IBM systems. And we've stayed with that all these years. It's kept me going and I've had a great career. And we've, we've been an odd case because we stayed private. We chose not to become a big household name. And, you know, it was, we're going to just be a high quality niche provider of a tool set that we know how to train and develop and work with, and we're still doing it. And it's kind of, it's been a really rewarding thing to do. Um, probably not what most people expected. <laughs> uh, you say you started a small company and you're still uh, private. So what size is your company then? And what, and how big is it now? Yeah. We've had, it's, it's, gone up and down a little bit through the years, but we're, we're still just a small company of less than 50 people. So we've retained a very niche focus. And there's a handful of us that go back to the very beginning. And of course, most of the people have come on later. But yeah, we just, you know, it's surprising. I've been able to stay in Sacramento, which no, again, was not expected. Um, I've traveled all, you know, um, in the in the 90s, we really made a push to get into the international markets, and I was traveling back and forth to Europe a handful of times and um, got to see a lot of things and work with a lot of companies and see a, really had it. And we don't, we're not, we're more focused in North America and more modern times, but um, every industry, every company, but mostly mid sized to, to larger, mid sized to larger companies in manufacturing and various kinds of wholesale distribution. But it's all about, studying their data how do they want to see their data what do they what does it mean to them and that's you know i laugh because i was the nerd kid when i was in elementary school who'd get up in the morning and read all the baseball box scores and keep track of all that kind of stuff and i some ways i feel like i'm still that kid <laughs> um yeah hey, you talked about uh, you travel you had a chance to travel a little bit yeah. now, now besides work where have you traveled? Well, okay. If I, if I'm going to talk about that, I'm going to. I'll. I, that's a good point to bring in my my wife into this discussion. Um, so, <laughs> in that era, in the later '80s, when things were starting to come together and the company was starting to grow, um, NGS, we we. I say we, but it wasn't me, and I wasn't. In, involved in the decision, but I got, it all worked out well for me. <laughs> um, the guy that was in charge of sort of running the office hired this temp and she walked in the door. Everybody else is like, you know, the animal house. And she comes in dressed to the nines, perfectly coiffed, beautiful, organized, professional, <laughs> kind of stood out. <laughs> and she, I didn't get to know her at all in the very beginning. And she had traveled all over the world and had a lot of, her dad had been an officer in the Navy. I mean, she came from a little bit different side of the tracks than I had seen. Um, and I didn't know much about her. And she ended up, it was funny, she only came in there because I didn't know she had been in healthcare for seven years and something had happened and she wasn't in that anymore. And she was just trying to find a temp job until she could get back to healthcare. And she was so good and so professional. We ended up 
convincing her to come and stay at the company for two years. Well, that was the beginning of when I was starting to travel and get a little more of an idea of the world and doing stuff for the job. Um, and toward the end of that time, she and I started dating and she got a job for Kaiser Permanente, which was really the kind of job she had been looking for. And it really was a whirlwind. A year later, we were married. We had a house in her old neighborhood and we were traveling. I was traveling for work. We were traveling for pleasure. We went, I mean, we took multiple trips to Europe, uh, Denmark and Switzerland and France and Italy and the wow. Netherlands and Belgium. And then we were, uh, we took a trip to, uh, uh, to the Amazon and Brazil as well. You know, we literally, uh, fished for piranha out of a little canoe that like a 10 foot canoe with a guide in the middle of the Amazon <laughs> fishing. For, if you haven't done it, fishing for piranha is probably the kind of fishing that almost anyone can do. You throw meat in the water, they jump. <laughs> uh, so I got to see a little taste of people living in the Amazon and what that was like opens your eyes. You realize there are people that can be really happy even when they have nothing, which is a good lesson for most of us to learn. Um, and then we went um, some years later after our son was born, our son was born in 95 and we kind of rejiggered our focus at that point to say, you know, we got to focus on our family and here at home, a little closer to home, live a little different way. And so we changed our plans and I stopped traveling quite so much. But even at that time, we went to Australia, we took him, we, I had some business down there and we, I got, I'd worked during the day and then we took some time to go hiking in the blue mountains and, you know, Pan kangaroos, <laughs> you, you know, we, a lot of great experiences in those years, the, that whole era from the latter eighties to the early two thousands, we covered a lot of miles together, sometimes business, sometimes pleasure, sometimes a little both early years before our son was in school and active, he was able to go with us quite a bit. So had some incredible trips in those years and saw the world. And we got real involved in um, international exchanges so one year we hosted a kid from Japan for a year here. Another year we had a, another summer we had a kid from Germany. And then we did a lot of adult hosting, which was different, where we had people from Russia, Kyrgyzstan, Germany, Brazil, Belgium, England. We had people from all over the place who spent time in our house and we'd show them around. So those were amazing, amazing years. There were about a 20-year span there where we really got to see a lot and do a lot. And, Incredible memories, um, just incredible memories. Now, when you hosted those, were they students or were they just Some. Because that's, that's interesting. They, well, we, we did, you know, one thing we realized after we had our own son and we couldn't travel quite so much as we had before. And travel was all new for me. I, my family, we didn't travel anywhere. When we had a, when my parents had a day off, we went out and worked in the yard. <laughs> I, had, I had never been a traveler. I'd wanted to be, but I'd never had the resources or the time or effort. You know, I didn't really know where to begin. My wife was from the background where every time you have a free moment, you're going. And so that was incredible for me. So then we were really interested in kind of having that international exposure. But once you have a kid in school, you can't really travel. So, you know, it's a little harder. And we're both working and she had her mom to help. And so um, we started doing the hosting and we had people coming and they were adults, but we did host a kid from Japan for a whole school year. And um, 
we had the student from Germany who's a great kid with us for a while, but we also had full, you know, adults that were like in middle-aged people that were coming over to California to see what was here and understand it and do cultural exchanges. So we, we did a ton of that as well. Uh, really great, great experience. And we still, I'm still in touch with some of those folks all these years later. So talk about what are your thoughts now and will you ever retire? <laughs> um, I'm in a kind of a transitional point in my life. Um, right when our son went off to college, 2013, he got out of high school, he was off to college and um, my wife and I were both working. Um, things seemed perfect. And out of the blue, she started having a hard time doing her job. And she had a hard time speaking, which she had been a health educator and behavioral medicine counselor. And speaking was a pretty critical skill. And suddenly she couldn't do it very well. And we were led to believe, oh, it's probably stress. Maybe you ought to slow down. You know, and we had been going pretty full speed. <laughs> and so um, she retired a few years earlier than she would have wanted to. And we thought, okay, this will work. And um, it didn't. Things got worse. And eventually she, it was pretty incredible blow to us, but she was diagnosed as having early onset Alzheimer's. And it's not treatable. It just progresses and it kills you. And along the way, it's, I guess you can say it's not painful, but it's horrifying. And I, so four years ago, basically, I had to make the decision that I was able to, I fortunately worked for the same company all these years. I had a lot of flexibility and I'd earned some <laughs> respect. So I came home long before COVID and started working from home and taking care of her. Her needs kept growing. Eventually, I had to have some help here in the house. And um, things just became more and more difficult. And our son, fortunately, she was able to be in, still in good condition when our son graduated from college. So she got to understand what was happening there and see him advance in his life. Uh, but things really unraveled. So I had to stop traveling, uh, take care of her. I start, I did all transition my job duties so I could do things here. Um, and she died in April of this year. And so this last few years, I've been consumed by healthcare requirement, caregiving requirements and just the devastation of what was happening here in our home. And it's been hard on all of us. Um, now I'm kind of here this summer after now it's been four months. I'm kind of coming out of the fog and looking at my future and saying, you know, what am I doing? And starting to look forward instead of thinking about the past and dark things, uh, you know, things that were sad. Um, so I'm still working and I love it. And I don't have to work as hard as I used to. So I'm grateful for that. And I have, the, I'm trying to exercise and I'm starting to make plans for future vacations and things I can do that would be exciting to me, get kind of back to where I used to be. And I'm lucky that I'm still healthy and I can do pretty much anything I want to do. I'm in a good position to be able to enjoy life. Um, but it's kind of, I think, at least for 
foreseeable future, I'm going to keep working at least most of the time because I enjoy it. And I'm mostly involved in teaching coworkers what I know, transferring knowledge is the big, I still do a lot of that. I do a lot of trying to focus on things I can do at home that don't require travel. I'm doing a lot of content development for a website for customers to learn how to do things with our software and um, occasionally getting doing virtual sessions for technical conferences with the kind of in the niche market we're in and stuff like that. So as long as I can continue to do that, I think I will because I enjoy it. It's stimulating. I still get to talk to a lot of good people and and uh, I'm not traveling anymore. I might again at some point, but I don't think I need to. The technology's made that kind of easy now. So, yeah, have you been in touch with any of our um, old teammates or people that uh, from high school? I know I do. Yeah, you you're such a beloved figure, and people find you because you're visible, and so I'm sure you hear from people all the time. I. I kind of just lost touch with people after high school. I just kind of was on my own path and I was trying to make my own way. And so I really, it's kind of funny. I was, when they found me three years ago, we had that reunion and I forget how they found me. Oh, I think Larry Usui found me because he had a, he knew somebody who had known me like 15 years before and he still had my number. And so they found me, but it was funny because I thought they found me and I'm in Elk Grove. <laughs> I'd never left. Yeah, I've been, but yeah. <laughs> It was like below the radar, but still here. So um, I haven't, you know, I've, I've only got a, one or two people I know that go back to those early years of my life, uh, elementary school and stuff like that. And it's kind of odd because I'm right here, but not really. I mean, it was fun to see people. But at that point, I couldn't that night of the reunion, I had to get home for other reasons and I couldn't stick around. So I didn't get to spend as much time talking to people as I wanted to. But Anyway, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's always a little hard in those situations, but uh, it's funny because uh, you're you're still here, but um, a, a lot of people are. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like I'm still in Oak Grove. Terry's in Folsom. Uh, yeah. Some people moved out of town. Uh, Bill Bell, he's up in uh, Michigan. Yeah. Uh, Hedman's are still there. Uh, Joe wow. Magna still there. Oak Grove. Close to yeah. you, you probably passed them up driving down the road. <laughs> probably. You know, it's funny because when I was young, like in my 20s, I remember I was determined I am not staying in this town. I am leaving. I'm getting out of here, you know. <laughs> and, and my family's been in the Sacramento area for a century, you know, now over 100 years. Um, and I was sure I was going to get out of here. And but. I didn't have connections. I didn't have, you know, and so things just kept happening. And I remember I pursued jobs in Chicago for a while. I never could get a break. I tried to go to Seattle area several times. never could get a break. And I just kept being here. Well, then I married my wife, whose family had also been in Sacramento area for over a hundred years. And in her family, if we, <laughs> when we moved from East Sac to Land Park, they thought we had left town. <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually 20 years ago we came to Elk Grove and then they really thought we had left town and it was funny to me because I'm coming back to where I came from but to them that was like I'd really we'd left the country but uh, in reality my you know like a lot of these guys you're mentioning it's all been within a pretty small radius you know yeah but, um, it is, it is funny. that was you know we were fortunate that was such a good group 
Yeah, yeah, it was a special group. Uh, we had a special coach um, who challenged us. So luckily, uh, we were able to, uh, to 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 meet our goals. Little Elk Grove High School. Who 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 was that? You obviously have experienced so much, but um, at the time, I don't think I appreciated, and maybe other people saw it, was the amount of travel that we did as a high school team. We did. We played. We were all over the place, from the Central Valley to the Bay Area to Houston to, you know, all over the place. And in that era, I don't think there were more than a handful of teams in the country that were doing stuff like that. That was that, that was rare. And, and uh, I, I, you got to give Coach Risley credit for that because I'm sure he was the one making all the calls. You didn't have email and, and the Internet to reach people in those days, but he, he must have worked like crazy to put that schedule together. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was special. That was special. I don't think uh, I don't think anybody's done that since, especially not to go to Texas. Right. Well, I mean, it wouldn't have happened without you. I understand that. We we know you were so such a figure. Everybody wanted to see and talk to. You know. Yeah. You know, as funny as that, I, I I tell people about that, and I you know was fortunate to be in the right place, right time, but. But our team was good. We were good, man. You know, we were we were a good defending team. We didn't throw the ball away. Um, uh, so everybody played their role. And I, yeah. I get a lot of credit, but uh, but man, we, we had a good team. And let's face it, we weren't better than anybody anyway. So we we deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I. I at the reunion a few years ago, Coach Risley was talking to a few of us who were the ones who didn't didn't particularly play a whole lot. And he was very, he's giving everybody a lot of complimentary, very nice statements about how all of us were so good. And, you know, if we'd been in another school, we all would have been really successful. It was just that we were in, it helped grow behind some superstars that we didn't get to play a whole lot. But he was giving us a lot of credit for how we probably would have been, you know, our second string might have been one of the better teams in town if we had been playing at the time, you know, and he was very complimentary, but I remember a couple of us laughing afterwards thinking, we didn't feel that way at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, you know, a lot of times it's, uh, it's really hard uh, doing less. Doing less is playing your role because it's kind of counterproductive and thought. But uh, but just being able to play that role nobody else can play is is really special. That's that's what you learn later, um, especially. So yeah, um, that's that's exactly what we had. And there was so much structure and discipline and a thought to it because I think we saw enough to know when we'd go to other schools that there were a lot of those teams. It was just like the guy was a PE teacher who said, "Here's the ball," you know. I don't think a lot of those teams were getting a lot of coaching. So no, we, we definitely got a lot of attention. And, <laughs> uh, we probably appreciate it more now than then. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, Bill, wow. thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, uh, you're, you're, you're just awesome. And let's stay in touch. You know, uh, I'm, I'm around. I'm, uh, I'm very close. Yeah. Uh, Let's, let's, uh, when you get yourself more support, do something. Well, thank you. Yeah. I, you know, it's been great. I've, 
always had an eye to all the news. I've followed your your years and all your successes from afar, watching it. Like a lot of people, I know people all through this region. I'm blown away sometimes. I meet people that are half our age that talk like they were there and saw all that stuff because they've read about it so much. They feel like they saw it. So, you know, we were, <laughs> I feel very fortunate that I was able to be around at the right time to witness it all firsthand. And it's, uh, I appreciate you tracking me down after all this time because I, you know, you're used to talking to successful athletes and people that had high profile careers. I, I, I was not somebody I would have expected you to find. So thank you. <laughs> well, let me tell you, you, you have had a successful career and uh, uh, sounds like you're very blessed with a uh, extraordinary woman as well. So uh, you, you've, you've, you've had quite the journey. Yeah. Well, so if you live long you. enough, you see everything. 